0: Back to Sesame trivia, the a podcast where we definitely, definitely need more sleep. This is Brent. I'm Jonathan, and this is we're doing something a little bit unusual. And I apologize if we sound very unenthusiastic about it. We're recording on a Saturday morning instead of a Wednesday Wednesday night, and we both have fairly late nights. This is probably, in retrospect, a horrible idea, but we're gonna we're gonna power through it.
1: Yeah, I'm also in the closet again because. <laughs> I... I never get tired of that phrase. <laughs> I know. Phrasing. I tend to get a lot of echo when I record, like in my kitchen, for example, because we have pretty high ceilings and it's like a big open space. Our kitchen and living area is kind of connected. So I'm trying the closet again, but there is this weird background noise, so I'm hoping that we can edit it out pretty efficiently. And you'll never even know the difference. But even looking at my levels now, when I'm not talking, there's just something happening. I don't know if there's like plumbing around me. I don't know if there's like a ghost that's just like, I want to be in the podcast.
0: I have no idea. Yeah, I, it sounds like dubstep. There it is right there. It sounds like dubstep. And you don't hear like any neighbors playing music or anything like that, right? No. Yeah, that's so. We got to do, we got to get you a scissor arm because like, <laughs> that's so ridiculous.
1: Okay, well. It's just like, anyway, okay, <laughs> let's just get to
0: it. Yeah, let's, let's do it. Up for today, we've got another Android vulnerability. Sad panda. Yeah. And another Lenovo intrusion, digital rights. I don't know what to call it, but they're fucking up the, the shit that you buy. <laughs> I, I guess that's the best way we can just, just fucking up the shit that you buy from them. Windows 10 privacy policy, which is just hilarious. I finally, uh, by the way, I finally upgraded my Windows 8 VM to Windows 10 last night. Oh, man. Yeah. So we'll see how that goes. The Unix Rosetta Stone, which is real cool. We're only going to talk a little bit about that because that's mostly like a visual kind of a thing. A little bit about key management, which came in by request from, I don't know how to pronounce this, so I'm going to try Kathonis, I believe. Oh, no. He spells it, he doesn't even spell it like the, uh, Lovecraftian thing. It's Kithnos. C-H-T-H-N-O-U-S from our IRC channel. So we'll be talking about that. Talking about easy ways of implementing cryptography in your everyday life. Some data recovery tools, which is always useful. You're you're going to need them at least once in your life. Terminal servers that are Linux-driven. And a little bit of, like, kiosks and stuff, too. Because they're, they're technically a terminal, uh, terminal server and client system. But... It may not seem like they are and some more password cracking and, and auditing talk because it's it's important to make sure your users can't be cracked in three minutes <laughs> are you with me jathan i'm here you ready to rock and roll so ready okay there's a, there's a new Android phone, and I'm not talking about the one that we previously, did we talk about the other one? The, um, Stage Fright? Yes. Yeah, we did. Okay. So I'm not talking about Stage Fright. This new one's called Certificate. Oh, I even spelled it incorrectly in the, in the notes. I spelled it as Certificate. But it's, it's kind of certificate based. So a lot of these, uh, Triple times over rebranded cell phone firmwares for Android have remote support tools in them. Which is, you know, I, I guess it's fine and dandy, you know. It lets your service be more accessible to new users. It, At the end of the day, it does help with uh, adoption of Android, giving like a nice, a nice competition to iOS. But with that, you gotta make sure your shit's strong. You gotta make sure it's secure. And they didn't do that. So, uh, so it was, it was basically revealed that there is a way to remotely use these remote control services outside of the authorized channel. So basically anyone can compromise them and have unfettered use of your phone, basically.
1: Yeah. And um, so the article from Tech Republic is kind of unclear to me because there's a list of apps that are vulnerable, which includes, uh, for your record, TeamViewer, Mobile Support, Communitake Remote Care. So if you have any of those apps, you should definitely uninstall them. And there's also a certificate scanner that you can download and it'll check your device. But if you have like a third party thing from like HTC or LG, is that something that's installed that you can't actually change or modify? Is that what I'm getting? Sort of, yeah. I mean, not. Without
0: flashing a different firmware, I'm not, okay, so, I'm not so there's working.
1: nothing you can do right now to change that.
0: Well, I mean, you could you could flash CyanogenMod sure. or or AOSP or whatever. But yeah, I mean, if you want to not flash your phone, if if it kind of gives you the willies thinking about that, you're kind of boned. There are patches, I think, be being worked on, but I don't know what the present situation of those is. I don't know if they're out. Um, I don't know if they're not released yet. I don't know if they're mainlined yet. You know, so.
1: Right, well, until it goes through the carrier and everything else, we won't see them for some time.
0: Right, right. Now, hopefully with Stage Fright, that policy will change. Because I know, at the very least, Google and some providers are planning on working together to get like monthly rollouts implemented. But, you know, I mean, I, I still have my doubts. Because carriers, they just want to shovel their crapware onto the phone. They don't want to have to maintain it, you know? Right, exactly. So we'll see where that goes. My hopes are low. But, you know, thankfully, like Android is a fairly open system and it's the core of it is an open source operating system. So feel free to to replace your crappy provider provided provider provided firmware. <laughs> I realized yeah. I would say that halfway through and I'm like, that's it's really not good. Me talk good. Was that your phone? What? Was that your phone? I don't think so. That. What? I, I
1: seriously didn't hear anything. You don't hear the, that vibrate? I will check my phone, but no, my phone's not on
0: vibrate. Maybe it was a B. I heard a distinct buzzing twice. That. that.
1: What is that? That's me making my phone vibrate, but that's because I turned it back up, but it's
0: set to silent. Mm. listen to your listen to your raw after we're done because i definitely you i just, definitely heard it i definitely heard it you're a troll i'm not trolling you i you we will have per- i'll have proof you can listen through your raw when we're done and be like oh shit he was right whatever we'll move the on The closet does weird things to people <laughs> well you're the one in the closet i'm sitting at my desk yeah well that's your
1: mistake right there
0: you need to get out of the closet. So Lenovo had a big thing with Superfish, where they basically had a they had a firmware spying spyware. Is that what they call it? I haven't used Windows for the longest time, so I don't know. I'm not I'm not familiar with it. Spyware. Spyware. That's the word. Is that what we still call it? I think so. Okay. Or is everything malware now? I th- I don't know. I don't know. I actually haven't heard spyware in a long time. So. Right. See. You know, hmm. so I, I don't know. I don't know. But I don't. Yeah. But basically, that's what it was. It was a, a firmware, a, a software that lived lived in the firmware layer, so you couldn't just like reinstall your operating system and get rid of it. That basically did a lot of tracking that it should not have done of your use use habits. I think they did it mostly for marketing purposes. But who's to say that they wouldn't sell that or have it? sequestered by uh nation state acts you know so it, it it was a big thing i think we mentioned it in, w- in one of our episodes can't remember. Anyways, Lenovo kind of fucked up again. They have this thing where they disable Windows auto-check, which normally wouldn't be maybe such a big deal. A lot of people now are compl- and we'll talk about this in a second when we, when we talk about Windows 10. A lot of people are saying, you know, that they're not fond of Windows 10 because it has forced updates enabled. So, Lenovo disables auto-check for Windows updates, which normally would not be that big a deal, except they then replace it with their own version of auto check that's a big deal that's I mean that is by very definition what a rootkit is that is, that is taking a system component that you expect to be a certain thing and replacing it with your own and that's that's a bad idea it like it would be one thing if they were just disabling windows update and just letting the user enable that that's like all right it's it's kind of lame but at least it's not this shit you know yeah
1: i agree with that i mean you know how i feel about all this shit because i don't really use windows anyway i am very intentionally still using windows 7 on my gaming pc you know please hack me if you please uh The only thing that I do with it literally is game. There is nothing personal on there except my, like, Steam account, for example. But this just, like, makes me distrust Lenovo. And I really like Lenovo as... Like their their stuff is good. Their laptops are very durable.
0: Mm, they're work class laptops. Yeah, yes. Yeah. I should clarify. The ThinkPads are pretty solid. They're starting to show their age, but yeah. I mean, generally, the so this Thinkpad just like good. pisses me off. Well, I mean, I'm I'm kind of done with Lenovo at this point. You know. So where would you go? Like, if you were gonna go buy a new laptop tomorrow? Oh, Samsung. I love my Samsung. Hmm,
1: okay.
0: Yeah, I'm all about it. The thing is, you got to you you can never skimp when you get a laptop, but you also can't go hog wild. You have to get a sensitive a sensitive, a sensible <laughs> machine, but at a price that you know it's not cheap, cheaply made. So like I have a I have an ATIV ATIV, I'm not sure how you say it. Book 6, I think it's called. Or maybe it's a book 7. They're really similar. It's, you know, it's a touchscreen. I hate the touchscreen. Never use it. But it has one. So if you're into that, whatever. You know, a, uh, an i7, four gigs of RAM, which I can probably upgrade. I haven't I haven't even looked into it. So I mean it's it's a pretty solid machine. I use it as my general workhorse. You know, I use it for work. I use it for a lot of the I use it for editing. I use it for um, a lot of the extra stuff I do. Like I develop B disk on it. I don't I don't like test run B disk on it, but I develop B disk on it. And yeah, I mean it's 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 awesome. Samsung really has surprised me. But their lower end models as really with, with almost any provider or any vendor, their lower end models are really not up to that par. So take the time, save up some money, it's going to be worth it. But yeah, so Lenovo's kind of done with them ever since, you know what, ever since uh, Lenovo bought IBM and Lenovo's a Chinese company. Because like this kind of shit is like okay in China. People generally don't give a shit about like malware hiding in the firmware in, in China. I mean, it's- it's That's kind a, of a generalization. It's Sure. And there's some people in China who are concerned with that. But The general population is much, it would not be as sensational over there as it was here. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's because they do have a nation-enforced censorship instead of, like, a culture-enforced censorship like we do here. Um, so maybe they're used to, like, that kind of level of invasion, I guess, on their personal life. But I don't know. I mean, it is what it is. So, I mean, maybe it's a cultural rift, you know. Lenovo, Chinese company, bought IBM, an American company. I th- Actually, I think IBM was a UK company. But same concept, you know, like, the value and the, the concept of what's okay versus what isn't may... Maybe maybe responsible. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Maybe responsible for that.
1: So, do you think that we're going to see obvious fixes coming out for this? Oh no, you
0: really don't think so. No, I don't think so. No, I don't. I mean, sure like they might cuz this got a lot less coverage than Superfish did.
1: Yeah, it's true. Superfish was a huge deal and that went on for like weeks, but um I don't know. I feel like there's going to be people that are pissed off enough that, that Lenovo's going to have to offer up some alternative firmware.
0: Well, no, this isn't this isn't firmware so much, I I don't think it is. I haven't read the um, article in too much detail, but I from what I understand it's just the the way they just, bundle it.
1: Just the way they bundle it?
0: Hmm. Yeah. But you know what if you run Linux, Linux or, or BSD or whatever, doesn't really matter anyways. You're not using Windows updates. No, it seems like it is
1: because these people are saying that they did a clean install of Oh shit, really? of Windows offline, never connected to the internet, no Wi-Fi, nothing. And then if they waited, like the pop-up, whatever indication that this was present still shows up. Fucking shit. You know what? Well, I oh, wonder- wait, wait, wait. Maybe, maybe, hold on, hold on.
0: I also wonder if that's something being defloyed by Superfish itself. So once once like Superfish gets cleaned out and shit.
1: Maybe maybe I just read a proposed experiment. Oh.
0: I don't know. We'll post the thread yeah, on yeah Ars yeah.
1: Technica in the show notes.
0: Yeah. In the rata. we'll we'll see where it, it's actually coming from if we can figure it out but you know i mean i i don't i don't think they're consider, people consider this as big a deal for whatever reason i do but whatever i also run linux so i'm not that, and my girlfriend who has a lenovo runs linux my lenovo thinkpad runs linux you know so i'm not i'm not too concerned about it whatever let's move on moving on windows 10 Windows it's a piece of shit it's horrible yeah i upgraded my vm last night took a good i don't know two hours or so something like that Wow, like
1: including a download?
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, the actual install didn't take that long, but download took a fair bit. And I, I staggered mine, like I, I purposely waited, so because I, I didn't want to wait as long as other people were waiting. So I'm like, I'll just do it later. So I did it later, but it's still slow as shit, which tells me that maybe Microsoft needs to get a better CDN or something. But got it in. It's I, I will grant them the UI is a hell of a lot better than Windows 8. Windows 8 was a shit show. Yeah, I mean it's not much, especially when trying to use it on a non-touchscreen device. Yeah, that's. I agree with that. It's not intuitive at all, and you can't find
1: anything. It was an absolute mistake. It was actually one of the hardest things I had to do ever was adding an unlisted or an, a wireless network that wasn't broadcasting on Windows 8. It was like seriously so hard to figure out how to do
0: yeah i i didn't i only run windows in a vm so i don't have to worry about wireless network. so I, I i can't say that I, I shared that experience but sounds about like a par for the course for windows 8 you know so the user interface the user experience is a lot more slick it's a lot more akin to traditional windows like like uh windows xp windows vista even not that vista was a good example of an operating system but, you know, I mean, it, it's they definitely learned from their their user experience mistakes that they made with seven and eight. However, with that comes some bullshit. So they we've we've talked about Windows 10 before about the wireless sharing the uh, what, what's it called? Wi-Fi sense. Yeah,
1: I don't actually know because I I forgot that
0: we've talked about that before. But yeah, we have uh, Wi-Fi Sense. So we talked about Wi-Fi Sense before. That's in Windows 10. It also does some crazy, bat- just crazy things. Yeah, so, like
1: for example, the encryption key that you may create to encrypt your computer with um, what is BitLocker, right? Yeah, BitLocker with BitLocker is then automatically backed up to your Microsoft OneDrive account.
0: Which is in the quote cloud. unquote cloud. Right. Right. Well there's no, really no such thing as cloud. It's it's always other people's servers. Unless it's a private cloud, in which case it's your own servers. There there's no such thing as the cloud, but I hate I hate hate when people call it the cloud. It's like, you mean the internet? You know? Like that's that's yeah. that's exactly what the internet it is. A, it's a decentralized drive. system of, of you know, but whatever. It's some bullshit.
1: Microsoft is just collecting huge amounts of data in Windows 10, like things that you say to Cortana, including like details about calendar events and contact names that you may speak aloud and your own name and nickname that you speak aloud. So, I mean, you can expect that if advertisers get a hold of this information,
0: they're going to just know you. Well, Microsoft alone is a business themselves, you know, they run their own advertising. So that's there's and there's no there's no real way of disabling everything that it. All of the bullshit. There's some ways to like disable some of it, but there's no way to like turn it all off and be like, leave me the fuck alone. Here's here's some example of of what the Microsoft account, which is in the the OneDrive or whatever it's called, is what it syncs: browser history, favorites, websites you currently have open, saved app website and mobile hotspot passwords and Wi-Fi network names and passwords. Now those are things that you can deactivate in the settings, but I mean it's still it's still opt in, right? Or or opt out rather. So. Here's, and here's the bullshit. Unless you have Windows 10 Pro, your hard drive encryption key, yeah, like you you mentioned, you know, your your encryption keys for BitLocker, your hard drive encryption scheme is sent to the cloud. In what possible world would that ever make sense to do? Yeah, this is like, the whole list just reading it pissed me off. Yeah.
1: I mean, I don't have that much more to say. I mean, you could go ahead and rattle off what else, but at the same time, all you really have to say is just like, don't the fact it. that they're taking any information is just ridiculous. It's and it, for me, it just reinforced that I definitely do not want to upgrade to Windows 10.
0: I'll just stay on Windows 7. Yeah. And, like, as a stark example of that, the only, I mean, there's obviously, like, maybe some distros that do it wrong. Like Trixbox got in a lot of trouble. I'm sure there's one of those Chinese distros that do it. But generally, if it's an American distro and it's an open source-driven distro of Linux, or if it's a BSD or whatever, they don't collect information. And what they do, you you basically have to opt in opt into. So there's uh there's i, I it's on my mind because I'm working on the preseed for the install fest that last night for for Debian. There's an option during the Debian install for the oh what what they call it package popularity or whatever you know what i'm talking about right mm, would you like to so. opt okay yes yeah, but so i've it- never seriously used debian ever yeah but you, you've done at least one install ubuntu asks the same question it, what is the question um like would you like to opt into the po- the package popularity survey or something oh uh, i do that's that's fairly recent like right oh no no that's that's been around for a very long time that's i think that's before even ubuntu forked from debian really yeah, it's been there for a long, long time. Hmm. And there, all the information they get is just what packages you choose to install after the base install is done. So they know what packages need the most attention. And that's it. And that's opt-in. You have to say, yes, please include me in these statistics. So, and that's how it should be at the very least. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, I mean, you know, learn a lesson from Debian, Microsoft, and um, knock that shit off. So we'll we'll post a link of the article we're looking at, but that's that's just some Windows Microsoft bullshit. I had high hopes for them because they were finally coming to terms with the open source and Linux community, and then they pull this shit. Like, make up your mind, dudes. Yeah. I agree. Like, do you do you value us or not? I guess they don't need I guess they don't need to share our they can respect our values finally without sharing them, and I think that's where they're at now. Anyways, I'm gonna move on. The Unix Rosetta Stone, we'll post a link, not gonna talk about this for very long, it's just a really cool little tool. I knew about it, but I I never thought to post it on the, uh, uh, talk about it on the show. And MOQ from our IRC channel, uh, sent this our way. It's, uh, it's a pretty neat little tool. If you manage multiple Unix-like systems, like BSD, Solaris, Linux, whatever, thought you would... You would find this super useful, and I think I sent I, I think I sent it to you before, I, before it was even sent in the channel, right?
1: Uh, I'm not sure if I've seen it before, actually. No.
0: Oh my gosh, dude, print it out, keep it at your desk. Because it's super useful for any star Nix admin, you know, where you have to cover multiple Unix, Unix-like, Unix clones, whatever, Right. in your day-to-day. Very useful. And then there's the, uh, the Unix toolbox, which is basically just like a, a cheat sheet of core utils. You know, it's like, oh, how do I make the output of this file go or the output of this command go to a file, you know, like normal everyday stuff. So if you're a new user to like Linux or BSD or whatever, print that out and keep that up at your desk because that's a, it's a great cheat sheet. Yeah. So that's it. That's all I wanted to mention for that. We do have a key management now. I don't know. How do you, how do you manage your keys generally? Um, I sort of don't. And, uh, well I mean like what what kind of policy do you have? do you like when you when you turn up a new personal box like a new desktop or a laptop or whatever, do you copy over your old keys or do you uh do you generate a new set of keys or what I keep separate keys on every box? Good, I don't like to share
1: my keys good and then I just copy like known hosts from like my v p s to every machine that I own oh yeah i I don't do that but but that's no. because I want that access to be consistent. I mean, you may not. Well. I'm sorry. That was a stupid thing to say. I don't copy known hosts. I copy uh, my authorized keys file.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, um, I generally do that. I will copy authorized keys, but generate new keys, new uh, private keys. But known hosts would make perfect sense to copy, too. It I mean, depends. I mean, what do you mean it depends?
1: No. Well, yeah, I guess you could. I typically just like the first time, I'm just like, okay, yes.
0: Yeah, like I, I normally don't care. But I mean, if you want to, if you hate answering that, yes. <laughs> or if you've got a run, or if you've got a lot of scripts that maybe use SSH. Right. And you want to turn them up immediately without having to go through and do a, a SSH key scan for each host and each script. By the way, did you, did you know you can do that? You can add keys without actually logging in through yes. SSH? Okay. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I'll put that in our errata in the wiki article for those of you listening that want to know how to do that. It's very easy. It's part of the SSH suite. It's a little tool called SSH key scan. Basically just redirect it to your known hosts. Done deal. Very cool tool. I as for like I I don't usually keep passwords on my SSH private keys, but that's because I use a lot of scripts that use like rsync and uh, SCP and things like that, or they'll remotely execute an SSH command. Wow, that makes me sound shadyish as fuck, but. <laughs> It's not shady as fuck, but it makes me sound it, I guess. But it's there. And having password on keys that I have, you know, for these systems definitely is a problem. However, ideally what I should do is limit in the authorized keys file access for those keys, those passwordless keys, and only authorize like SCP and rsync and whatever commands they're running right in that authorized keys file. And then have a separate set of private keys that are password protected and then use those for shell access. And I would do that if I was smart but you know that's, that's He's what you should obviously be doing. not smart obviously not smart so that's what you should be doing and it's yeah it's a pain in the ass and it's not always going to be acu- uh, appropriate like if you're got your hard drive encrypted and I do full disk encryption and I run like tripwire and um, ADA or aid rather and um, and this other thing that checks my my boot files to make sure they're checksummed right can't remember the name of that one but I run that too you know so like if you're taking proper precautions to make sure that your key keys won't be at least stolen you should be okay which is why i'm not terribly worried about it but yeah i mean you always got to be careful about that runtime because if if you have full disk encryption you, you got to decrypt it eventually to run it so you know there's there's always a trade-off don't leave your computer unattended all that bullshit don't use other people's usb drives <laughs> things like that would that. be a really interesting experiment actually
1: what? Where I work specifically. How's that? Like, I wonder if I just took a flash drive and did something crazy with it, and then left it in one of the classrooms or auditoriums. Like, how long it would be till someone plugged it in?
0: You realize that's basically what a uh, what a pen test is, right? Yeah. That's like that's like one of the first things they do is they just dump a pile. They just spread a pile of USB drives. They scatter them all over a parking lot of a company they're targeting, and uh, at least one employee is gonna pick that up, stick it in his work computer, be like, what the hell? Did, what the hell is this? You know? Or they're like, hey, free USB drive gosh but yeah that's it's a lot you know a lot of people do that one of the things i don't watch it because i don't really like dramatic tv but one of the things i can speak awesome about for what's that new show mr robot
1: i have no idea I don't even have cable. I think it's called
0: Mr. Robot. I saw I, I saw maybe like fifteen minutes of one episode. But I did I did see a woman from the show do the same thing. And I'm like, that's at least it's realistic. At least it seems fairly realistic. Because that isn't that is an actual attack that many that, that, you know, is in the real world and works really, really well. So I don't think the experiment would be a failure at all for you if you did that, J
1: I'd probably get fired.
0: Well, you know, I mean, the trick is... Maybe I'll just make it
1: so, like, you plug it into Windows and it just pops up with a big box that says, You could have been hacked.
0: Uh... Or you could just hire an actual pen testing firm.
1: Yeah, that's not really in my control, but... They
0: pass it up the chain. I don't know. But they, they'll do nice things like they'll usually the payload they run on their USB sticks would like ping back to a CNC a CNC server they run and give statistics so they'll know like, okay, this person at workstation XYZ did this at this time and they'll, they'll be able to say like, out of the X number of employees you have, Y number actually stuck this random USB thing in their computer you know so it 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 really helps the executive and the c level kind of determine the level of how vulnerable their company can be in in actual numbers which is what they need you know they can't be like oh you can't do xyz because it's insecure you have to be like this is insecure because x number of people in your company are doing it and this and and we did y and got in you know so that's why pen tests are good we've talked about that a lot though I don't know. So that's, that's kind of it for key management. I don't really, um, I don't use, I don't, I definitely don't keep my keys on like a USB or anything like that. Not even encrypted. There's just too much risk there. It's hard to keep track of, easily lost, easily broke. I'm not entirely sure I trust crypt setup on a flash device yet, you know? So, I mean, there's, there's a lot of, a lot of nuances, I think, that, every individual may differ on but you know i mean it's it is what it is it's not really it's kind of a super personal thing as long as you're thinking about it and taking care to keep them protected i think you're fine with whatever you choose like you're gonna have bigger issues worrying about the nsa grabbing your ssh keys from runtime than you are some joe schmo grabbing your keys from um i don't know like from booting your laptop when you're not there or something you know and in runtime they're gonna be able to grab your password anyways so it doesn't really matter too much the extra layer of security there is nice though i don't know but speaking of key management oh I, i basically take the same policy with my gpg keys except i do use i do copy the uh public and private to different computers what i should be doing is using sub keys for each computer but that's a pain in the ass so so we'll see maybe in five years i'll uh three years i'll give it three years maybe in three years i'll um generate a new gpg pair and uh send out a notice of obsoletion for my old one a revocation so you know moving on gpg is very similar in that but i i want to talk about this though because this is this is a really cool project it's on github it's crypto might not suck and it's all it is is just a list it's there's no actual code which i, I kind of hate that it's on github without any code yeah it's a little bit of a weird place to host it It's, like, super hipster, kind of. It's, like, just dev coder hipster to me. But whatever. Also, like, that's what gists are for so if you really want to do that use a gist i digress so crypto projects that might not suck and it's it's just a huge list of really cool like documents you can use and and programs and and other software and stuff for instance like the end user tool summary has gpg and then it has under that the eff gpg intro windows pgp installation mac pgp installation linux pgp installation you know so it, it runs through the gamut of how to um really get started on what you want to do it's just a compilation of really easy to use documentation and it's got like the people's choice honorable mentions standbys it does mention tour and i i want to take the time now i want to do like a almost a whole episode on tour sometime i want to mention right now that Tor is super overrated. Guys, if you're worried about a nation state detecting you, it ain't gonna do shit for anonymity. And it's not meant for security either. You're running your traffic through someone else's server. I don't know how that could ever be possibly considered secure. But yeah, like it, it's not security. Don't view it as such. It's not even for anonymity, which is what it was designed for, because as proven with like uh Silk Road and all that shit, if they really want to, they'll find you. You gotta you gotta go real, real hard. Level with us, that kind of crap. Like um, I two, what's what's it called? I don't know. What are you talking? About? I I two p or something? It, it's it, IP2? I P two. I forget what it's called. It's basically Internet two or Internet I two p. I think. I'll I'll link to it in the show notes. Whatever. But the like, there's some like programs that do a way better job of keeping you anonymous than Tor does. I there's a le- a learning curve, so nobody ever bothers talking about them. Tor's easy, but it's it's really not. It's super overrated, I'll put it that way. Which is why also, I, sh- I should mention, I think Tails is bullshit. I hate that people are like, oh, I use Tails, I'm super secure. It's like, like, no, th- you're,
1: you're not. I don't think Tails is bullshit, I think it has its use cases. What are its use cases? Um, I mean, arguably, if you were going to go use like a public
0: computer at a library. Just like any other live CD can do for you. Next.
1: Yeah, but it just it's nice because it has all the tools that you may want to use like ready to go.
0: Then build your own. And really, they don't have a lot of the tools that I want to use. They leave a lot of shit out. Yeah, not you, but other people. Like what?
1: I don't know. Like, obviously it worked out pretty well for Edward Snowden.
0: I, I think people use it just because Snowden used it. Yeah. I, and it's I really... Mean, I well, don't use my point it, so is, it's not like I'm advocating
1: for Tails. I,
0: I know. My point is, though, it's it's, it's super overrated. If you, you should really be building your own, I'll post a link on, on my framework that you can use to do that in the show notes but like build your fucking own it's really not that hard most like the ubuntu live CD, i'm pretty sure has tor you know it's just it's total bullshit to me that people recommend tails when it, it doesn't see an update all that often so it's vulnerable to like kernel issues and all this other cr- crap and like i don't know i don't know It it's just it's primary it's bragging rights there is tor and Tor's bullshit. It's super overrated, you know? And if that's, like, your strongest selling point, Tails, then, like, I I think you're overrated. That's me. I'm just calling bullshit. I commend the, what they're trying to do, but, like, it's just really stupid. Use Greml. Greml is probably going to be way better than, than that. That's th- Those are Debian guys. Debian guys know their shit. They're security freaks. I, I would go with Debian. So, like, like Greml or something. Or build your own, like, like mine. Okay, what next? Data recovery. Data recovery. Yeah. That's that's a fun one actually.
1: I've never really attempted to use any of these tools, so I don't have very much to add to this.
0: Oh dude, they're super cool. So you know what the click of death is, right? No. It's like when your hard drive starts going Okay, yeah.
1: Like that. Yeah.
0: That's the click of death. That means like you're you're on your way out real quick. So usually if you're if you hear that noise or if someone's like my hard drive is having issues, you know, it's going really slowly. A, n- a slow hard drive is another good example of it about to be fried. Immediately shut that fucker down. Shut down the computer ASAP. Take the hard drive out, keep it in a plastic bag with some paper towels, dry paper towels, and put it in the freezer until you're ready to use it. That'll that'll keep the metal cool, which will, like, make better contacts. Sometimes, it, it doesn't always work. It's, it doesn't always, like, no, fix it's not, it, you know.
1: not perfect.
0: Uh, It's not perfect, and you need to keep it dry when it's cold. But, I mean, it it will definitely make your chances better. I'll put it that way. When you're talking about, like, amateur data recovery, not, like, a clean room where they take the spindle out and, like use electron microscopes to to reconstruct data because that gets very expensive when we talk about like amateur data recovery the trick is to minimize your losses there will be losses there there's going to be some losses and you need to you need to be okay with that right off the bat you know there will be some loss of data you want the trick is to minimize how much you lose it may be 1K, it may be 1 gig, it may be 1 terabyte, you know? So it's it's all about trying to keep that as low as possible. So keep it cold. Get your rig set up. You'll want like a, I would recommend a desktop just because it's it's got going to be, it's going to have like better channels, IO channels. And get a, like a uh, external hard drive, but you can get like just the enclosure. Get one of those. Um, so it's going to have a SATA hookup inside it, and then it's going to go to USB or eSATA, and then that's going to plug in the computer. e is fine. I would I would, uh, recommend USB, though. Been a little bit more reliable for me. So once you've got your rig ready to go, you've got your external hard drive enclosure with the case ripped off. Like, you just want the electronics. Um, don't bother with the. And, and usually you usually can just unscrew them and pop them out. No big deal. Um, so once you've got that set up, ideally, if you can, like... Keep the hard drive in its little baggie in a cooler, and then connect it through that, like through the baggie, and still keep it waterproof. That would be ideal. And then, like, just keep it in the cooler so it stays cool the entire time. But if not, you know, just make sure it's properly cool beforehand. Pop it in, and immediately, as soon as it's in, as soon as the drive is recognized by the OS, you're going to want to grab an image of it. Don't use DD. It's going to be a waste of your time, because if it errors out, you got to start all over again. Or you have to skip errors. Use DD Rescue. Not the one written by what's his name. There's two versions. There's DD Rescue and DD underscore rescue. Don't use the one written by what's his name. There's a GNU DD Rescue. Use that one and that'll grab you an image. I've seen someone use, uh, recommend, um, there's another one for like forensic DD images. I think it's like SFLDD or something like that. Don't use that one. Don't use that one. Don't waste your time. Uh, what your interest is data recovery and not forensics. Use DD Rescue. So what it'll do, it'll go through the drive. If it hits an error, it doesn't stop it skips ahead a couple bytes works its way backwards or a couple blocks works its way backwards grabbing whatever data it can and you know assembling it into like a, a right into the image until it hits the error again and and if there's like two errors and there's some data in between them it'll hop in between the sectors where it hit errors you know so it it's it does some really really awesome like Fast forward, reverse, fast forward, reverse to try and maximize the amount of data you get. And it's fairly quick too. It's, it's not as fat, it's not as slow as you would think it would be. It's pretty comparable to regular vanilla DD speed. So do that and then always operate data recovery operations on that recovery image. Make it back up first. Obviously, you need like a lot of storage lying around to, to do these kind of things. This is what, which is why I keep a, a 10 terabyte <laughs> RAID 10 around, you know? Um, Just in case. I mean, if you figure a lot of laptops these days have like at least one terabyte hard drives, right? So you need an image of that, which is going to be one terabyte. It's block level, right? So it's so it's it the whole space, including un- unallocated unused space. And then you need a copy of that to work on. That's two terabytes right there for one recovery case. And granted, you can get rid of them when you're done your recovery. But then also while you're working on that, if you run something like PhotoRec. Which I'll talk about in a second. If you're on something like PhotoRec, you need a place to dump the files it recovers from that image you're working on. So that's now a third location. That's going to be, I don't know, depending on how much they use their laptop, that might be like uh, 800 gigs, I'd say, on average. Maybe more, maybe less. So you really need a lot of space just for one case of these. But the good news is once you deliver to the customer or once you get what you want, you can blow the whole thing away and start over, you know, so so keep that in mind. But the important thing is just remember to have the space ready for it. Or, you know, really, you could just get a new hard drive and do a DD Rescue to the new hard drive. It's up to you. I like keeping images because they're more flexible and they're they're easy to carve into. But whatever. So anyways, once that's going on, when it completes, you'll have the image, like a copy of that image, and then you can run like PhotoRec, which is, it's basically designed to find files that are deleted, or you can run test disk, which is gonna help restore your, um, like your partition tables. I think it might work with GPT. Hmm. I'm not sure. Definitely works with BIOS MBR. MBR and partition tables. There is... What else do I mention? There's a couple others. Um, Most of them are forensics-based, like SWA... What's it called? Oh, the the Corners Toolkit, TCT. That's one of them. I think STAR is another. Uh, But they're mostly, like, forensics-based. They're not, like, actual um, recovery-based. But there are a couple out there as well. I'll put those in the show notes. There's ones where, like, you can carve out files based on their header. There's a lot of really cool stuff you can do with it. The thing to remember is like you need to prioritize i'd say there's like maybe two or three key things to remember when doing data recovery you need to prioritize what data you want to keep you need to minimize all data loss and you need to be very conscious about every step of the way you know and they all kind of interrelate to each other so keep those in mind and you should be okay but yeah i mean give it a shot sometime find a hard drive that's going bad or make one go bad (laughs) Um, a good way to do that is yank in the power welds mid right. And see if you can recover data. You know, make it a make it make it a fun little thing. Or delete files and see how fairly easy it is to to recover them. You know, you'll you might be pleasantly surprised or horrifyingly surprised, depending on <laughs> what it is that you deal that it, you deleted that you're trying to get rid of. I don't know, you said you, you've never used anything like that before, right, Jathan?
1: No, I mean I kinda just keep appropriate backups so if I ever have a drive fail I don't have to worry about it, which is obviously a good advice for anybody but or i might have to i don't know
0: you know what we're we're running a little bit a little bit hot here i think what we'll do and i think we we got to keep this flexible uh, you know so i'm I'm sorry for our listeners if you get listened the, at the beginning you were really excited to learn about terminal servers or password cracking which a lot of people might actually be interested in i think we're going to move that to the next episode yeah that makes sense because otherwise this is going to just get super long and unwieldy yeah yeah, and uh, and we've been having some some long episodes lately. So we're doing this for you, the listener. And I'm sorry we haven't been very energetic or uh, haven't had much banter. We really haven't had much banter this episode. No, going back and forth. Well, I mean, this one especially, recording
1: at nine o'clock in the morning on a Saturday is just not a good idea.
0: Well, it's twelve thirty right now for me, but it was a, yeah, it was eleven thirty when we started. But yeah, for you, and for me, you just need to move back to PA, dude. Yeah, sooner or later. Nice. Yeah, I guess we'll I guess we'll sign off then. Uh, this has been kind of just such a low key episode. Yeah. Well, we needed that. Well, I don't know if our listeners did. <laughs> so if you're listening and you're disappointed, I apologize. Um, it's been a very exhausting week. I don't know if if it has been for Jason but for oh, me, I don't even uh, want to talk about it. It's been like a shit week. Oh yeah, yeah. It feels like everyone I know has been just having a really busy week. I mean, I'm I'm trying to build out the Pixie server and repo and the mirror basically right. for the install fest at Foscon. Uh huh. Which I should I should tweet about that. That is in one week. That's the twenty second. So I'm I'm helping out with the uh, install fest there. Two there's both install fest. There's two install fests. And the goal of it is to like make things as easy as possible for new users right so i'm like all right let's set up a pixie server because like we don't have to burn cds and all that except i realized new users all might want a different distro so i'm like all right well i'll i'll set up arch debian and antergos Manjara, uh ubuntu did i mention ubuntu nope ubuntu centos Fedora, and uh then I realized, wait, the internet at the install of it is going to be horrible. So then I'm like, all right, well, I need to clone some repositories, and that took what, like a, a week and a half or whatever. Wow, but so it, it's what all are you going to
1: do for like, what's your plan for actually pixie booting these like laptops and stuff?
0: Oh, I mean, I, I already have done. Um, I have a, I'm going to bring a gigabit switch, some Cat five e cable. Right, but like
1: uh, your average laptop can't pixie boot. Yes, it can. How? What do you mean how? Like, normal computers
0: don't just do that. Yes, they do. How? Are you in your BIOS ever? No. All right, you have a Mac. Macs Macs can pixie boot. No way. Yeah, they can. Shit, you not. Yeah, like, just about any computer made after, like, I don't know, fucking 99, 2000 can pixie boot.
1: Well, I'm going to have to try this sometime.
0: Yeah, it's like, I'd say, like, 95% of all computers you come in contact with, as long as they're x86, 64, or x86. Right. As long as they're in the x86 architecture family, they can Pixie boot. Huh,
1: that's pretty cool.
0: But we, I also have like an uh, iPixie, so what I'm doing is actually pretty cool. I'm serving it over iPixie, right? Building the menu out in iPixie and everything. Delivering the firmware images, all that kind of... Uh, not firmware images, um, kernel images and squashed images and, and initial RAM disk images. I'm serving all that over iPixie. And I use traditional Pixie, like Intel Pixie, to deliver the ipixie payload hmm. so i'm like chain loading into ipixie it's really cool but if for whatever strange reason they have like a computer from like 1995 and they want to they want to install something i do have uh i have an iso of ipixie that should boot right to the the ipixie server uh that they can use so hmm. yeah so i'm set yeah that's I pretty should, cool i should be able to support any any consumer level computer made after i don't know 92 the trick is finding a, a distro that would install on that but right <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm really excited about that but that was that was a lot of hard work i think what i'm gonna do is i'm gonna clean up the project for that and then i'll open source that as well nice because there's a lot of scripts i made uh for like cloning the repositories and i'm gonna open source the uh it's it's it feels weird talking about open sourcing a config like a config file but i mean really that it's true like you can you can open source code that uses other libraries why can't you open source configs that use programs so um a I'll open source the configs I use to to serve the pixie and chain load it and things like that. I'll throw that up on the on the Disk git site too because that kind of actually plays into disk, because Disk has built-in iPixie support right very cool. do you have anything going on this week i'm just I'm just trying to shoot the shit so we can fill up some time
1: no, uh, I mean pretty much for me a uh, class of startup on the 24th so oh, I got uh, a,
0: I got a visit out there Wait the 24th of this month yeah oh fuck that shit.
1: So I'm just trying to tie up loose ends at work. I've made a lot of progress migrating stuff to our new Puppet server. Um, I've got a lot of the functionality down that I was worried about not being able to make happen with Puppet. So, mm. Cool. Yeah, that's about all I got, really. You train your staff on Git? Um, No, not yet. That still has just not happened.
0: Oh, man.
1: So that's the thing. It's like I am the only person that can actually make any changes to Skipper, as we're calling it right now.
0: Like from Gilligan's Island?
1: Uh, Sort of. We're just, uh, we couldn't come up with a good name for the puppet server because they wouldn't let me do Little Miss Piggy. Why not? Because all of our machines are named after islands. Oh. And it broke the scheme.
0: Yeah, I can can actually get behind that. It sounds stupid and and draconian, but, like, it's important because if you ever throw up another VLAN... You need to know immediately looking at the hostname what VLAN it's supposed to be in and, and what context it's in, you know? So I can get behind that. yeah whatever. Yeah, no, it makes sense. Makes sense. You should have done, um, do you have a Galapagos? Yes, we have, like, every island you could ever imagine already. I don't know about every. I mean, do you need a Wikipedia? Just, like, list of islands. Go. Yeah, we we have a lot of islands. How many are you? are like, uh, what, 270 nodes now? Uh, maybe 300, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's... There's, there's more than 300 islands out there, dude. No way. Yes, there absolutely is. Yeah, you're right. Whatever. All right, cool. Um, I'm done. Yeah. This has been System Trivia. I'm Brent. I'm Jonathan. Have a good week. Have a good week. We'll make up for this low-key by hopping ourselves up on caffeine or something for the next one. Yeah, I like it. Sounds good. See y'all.